Hello, everybody. Um, this is quite a long passage, so I hope I won't put you to sleep. Um, my first introduction to Habakkuk was at a, um, an engagement party. In those days, we had engagement parties. This was actually our engagement party with another couple in Guildford. And it was held in the evening in a garden. And it was a bit like a biblical catchphrase. In dotted around on the trees were probably about 12 or a dozen or so um, pictures of that you had to, from that, you had to derive what the, the biblical name of the Bible was. Well, for instance, there was someone who had his eyes up to the ceiling looking at the heavens, and from that, any takers, that was Isaiah. Eyes higher, you see, Isaiah. Another one was of someone, a cartoon character, of someone passing a cup of tea to someone else, and from that, you could derive that the person was saying, no, well, it could be Hebrews. That was another one. It was, that's good, that. Um, it was, have a cup of tea. So there we are, you see. So you're getting good at this. Anyway, um, I proposed in the talk to divide it into two halves. One is to look at what it says to the people of the time, and two, what we might learn from it from today. But I'll give a brief history lesson to set the scene. You can go to sleep now, it's only two minutes. Um, this followed on from the demise of, um, uh, of, of Josiah, who was a, a good um, king in um, Judah, who was, had reforms and was wanting the people to worship God. Um, but what happened was, um, mistakenly, he went to war with the Egyptian army who were passing through, and he thought they were invading him invading Judah, and therefore he, he took them on and unfortunately he got killed at Megiddo in 608 BC. Subsequently, the pharaoh of Egypt was in charge and he put in place a bad king called Jehoiakim and he reigned for 11 years. And this is where we arrive at at the beginning of Habakkuk chapter one. Habakkuk wasn't uh, pleased with what was going on because gradually, um, Jerusalem was falling into tyranny and violence, and this is what he's speaking to. You know, tolerate, why do you tolerate wrong? So he's saying to God, why are you putting up with all this injustice and tyranny in, um, in Judah, and specifically in Jerusalem? And the Lord's answer in chapter 1 to Habakkuk is, I'm not, you're, you're not seeing what I'm doing. I'm going to send the Babylonians, a small nation at that time, to remedy this and to, and to punish um, Judah for their wrongdoing. At that time, um, Babylon was only a small empire. It hadn't really come as an empire, hadn't really grown, and Assyria was on decline. So we have this 11-year gap, and this is where Habakkuk is speaking into at, the mo at that time. So that was his first complaint, that God wasn't doing anything. Then we come, and God says, yes, that I am doing something, I'm sending the, um, the Babylonians. In chapter 2, then Habakkuk says, well, that's all very well. You're from doing nothing, God. You are now doing too much. The Babylonians, even at that stage in their development, they were, had a, what they call a scorched earth policy. They would go into a land or a nation and completely destroy it, uproot everything, trees, buildings, absolutely everything. Nothing would stand people, everybody would die, and therefore, in that sense, Habakkuk was a little bit concerned that he, with other righteous people in Judah, would suffer this fate. So this is why he says, why are you doing so much? 
So what he does is he says, okay, God, let's see what, what you're going to do and see if you are going to send the um, Babylonians to it. So you can imagine him going up the ramparts in the city, um, standing on the wall or a lookout and looking and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Let's see when the, the, the Babylonians are going to come. But of course, Jesus, um, God then says to him, um, though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and not and without delay. So he's telling um, um, Habakkuk, come down from the city walls, come back again because it's going to take a little while for this to happen. And we know from history that there's a 20-year period from 608 BC to 587 when the exile happened. And so it's probably 10 to 15 years before the Babylonians actually appeared at the doors of Jerusalem. So that was his complaint. And, this, and then Jesus, um, not Jesus, well, he probably is Jesus, the Lord answers and says to Habakkuk, no, it's not too much. And he says to Habakkuk, come down, because you don't want to be sat up there. You might be sat up there for years. Come down and make play, uh, my revelation plain on tablets. And at this point, it, it feels a bit like Moses and, and the tablets up the mountain. And he says write the tablets and give them to a herald, herald who may run with it. This is in verse uh, 2, verse 2, so that a herald may run with this message. We don't know what the message was, but it might well have been, repent, for the Babylonians are coming. coming. And this, when I read this passage, I thought to myself, well, it's a bit like in the past where you see people parading up and down town centres, perhaps in London, with sandwich boards, Prepare to meet your doom, the end is nigh. And therefore, it was a similar thing. So here, God was actually saying through Habakkuk, giving a message to the unrighteous, if you don't repent of your ways, you will perish under the Babylonians. But not sufficient to, to just address the unrighteous. Um, God is now addressing, in, chapter, in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, um, but the righteous will live by his faith. Or another translation is, by the, the righteous will live by their faithfulness, his faithfulness, because those two words are interchangeable in Hebrew and Greek. Faith and faithfulness mean the same thing. And certainly in the New Testament, it's emphasized, the, the apostles emphasize that we live by our faithfulness. We have to go on. But also, this particular word, this particular um, passage is very famous in the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther, because he used it as part of his mantra that the just will live by faith. And taken out of context, it has possibly been misinterpreted, once saved once by faith, and that's all you have to do. But the New Testament does emphasize that you have to go on believing. Well, this is the word that uh, Habakkuk had through God for the righteous for himself, that you will be protected. Now, the second part um, the remaining part of chapter 2 goes on to deal with um, what's going to happen to the, the Babylonians. And we can see he's dealt with the righteous and the unrighteous, but here we have five sets of woes. Three sets of woes deal specifically with the Babylonians, and two, not only the Babylonians, but nations who are evil at that time, and also have a prophecy which looks forward to the end times. But so dealing with the first three, the first three cover 
first, the Babylonians in inhumanity and greed, which comes out in chapter, in chapter 2, verse is, um, verses 5 onwards. Um, it says, indeed, um, because he is greedy as the grave. No, yes, sorry. Chapter, uh, verse 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? So this is their inhumanity and greed, and what will happen is whatever's done to, um, whatever they do to others, they will reap the reward. So, you know, what you sow is what you reap. The destruction you brought on many, you will be destroyed because you plundered these people. The people who are left will plunder you, as it says in verse six, because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. So that's the first one, inhumanity, woe to your inhumanity and greed. The next one, which follows on, is imperialism. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high. Well, from that, you get the picture that came to me was um, you know, the exploitation that they had of the slave trade, where they had plantations and they had their, their, their wonderful houses and they exploited the, the, uh, the slave owners, exploited the, 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 the slaves at that time. And so that, that spoke to me quite strongly. And what has they had done, Woe to, their, woe to the Babylonians because the stones of the walls will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. So what they did in exploiting or in their imperialistic um, gains that they made will rebound on them and they will forfeit what they have. For lastly, um, for the third one, it's the intemperance in immorality because this comes out in verse 12. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wine skin, skin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. So what they do to others will be done to them by God. They will have to drink the cup of the Lord's wrath, and they too will, will suffer, and that will be their demise. So those are the three that are specifically for the Babylonians. But the other two are for all evil nations, and it's very apt for today, um, where we see the injustice around us. So the first one is injustice, and it comes out um, in, let's see where it is. Um, ah, yes. Woe to him, verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Well, this is um, directed at all the evil nations, and it could be directed to what's going on in Ukraine today, it could be directed at North Korea, it could be directed at, in Russia. You know, why do nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Why do they have this injustice? And also it looks forward, and this is the, the second famous uh, or verse in the Bible, which sometimes we don't know where it is. For God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the looking forward to the end times when Jesus' kingdom comes on earth and there will be justice. So in this um, particular two verses from 12 to 14, you have a message for the Babylonians that injustice won't be tolerated. You have a message for for nations at the time and for those today, but you also have a looking forward to the redemption that God is going to bring 
And this is the context of this verse, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's one. The second one, which is, comes right at the end, is for idolatry. And God says, you know, woe to him who says to wood, come to life. So again, this is, refers not just to the Babylonians, it refers to us today. It refers to any sort of idolatry by nations. And again, there's a promise for the future. Uh, the Lord says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the other famous passage in this particular chapter two. Again, it's going forward and looking for the time when the true worship will be in the new Jerusalem. And therefore, that's a time to look forward to in, as outlined in Revelation. And so we can look forward to that. So thinking about it, in this chapter two, we have three particular memorable verses. And it makes you think that perhaps this particular chapter has more memorable verses per word than any other chapter in the Bible. Often, you know, memorable passages which we don't necessarily know where they come from. So that's um, thing. So basically, that's the first half. But what has this got to say to us today? Um, Habakkuk was a wrestler. I mean, the name comes from wrestler, embracer of God, a clinger. He wanted to know answers. He wouldn't give up on them. He was persistent and perseverance in his request to God, and so he could have a better understanding of what God was doing. What God was doing, obviously, in Jerusalem, why he wasn't dealing with the corruption there, why, and again, why a second complaint, why God was doing too much. Um, so it's showing us that this form of what we call interrogatory prayer is acceptable to God. But we need to, we might find that quite surprising, but we need to recognize that Habakkuk's interrogatory prayer, can't say, is not questioning God's character, he's questioning his purposes. And unlike the Israelites in the Old Testament were wandering about, oh dear, we've got manna again for dinner, he was, they were grumbling and they were questioning God's goodness in the Old Testament. Where here, Habakkuk is questioning his purposes and wants to come to a better understanding. So we might find that quite surprising that questioning God in this way is okay. And the second one, I mean, we can see this where it says in verse 13, um, your eyes are too poor to look upon evil, you cannot tolerate wrong. So he is very concerned with God's reputation. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we might think this, this is a lack of faith if we start questioning God, whether it's our own particular problems or a world's problem. But if it's done in an interrogatory way, it isn't, um, because we're not um, questioning God's um, um, character, we're questioning his, his um, um, purposes. So in a way, what we can learn from Habakkuk, his persistence and perseverance was changing his perception. I mean, this probably took over a number of years. It might have taken over 10 years. He didn't, because if you look at chapter 3, he's gone from complaining to praising. He, what he's effectively done is he's gone through 180 degrees from complaining to God about having questions about God to praising God. And that's gradually taken time to do that. And 
And this is the same for us. If we have personal problems or anything, for instance, you know, um, something we, we, we can't cope with at work or an illness or anything, or even um, what's going on in the world around today, because it's very relevant, uppermost in our mind are those why questions. And therefore, we shouldn't look to think that they're wrong, only wrong if we're questioning God's character, because God will then change, gradually change our perception. So we're not complaining about the situation, we're praising God in the, in the situation, which is totally different. And I like the, the, the thing that Martin Luther King quote on persistence and perseverance, which we can pick up from here. He says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And I think that's the same with us, with our, with our problems that we might have. So Habakkuk is showing us the importance of integratory prayer. I mean, unlike intercessory prayer, the main beneficiary of intercessory prayer is the people we're praying for, or the event we're praying for. But in integratory prayer, the beneficiary is all lies with the person who's praying, because not it's increasing their faith, you start off thinking integratory prayer might be decreasing your faith because you're questioning God, but what in fact is happening is because God is changing your perception through 180 degrees, you're seeing, it might be thou my vision, you're seeing things as God sees them. But this is so essential because it gives a platform for any prayer, whether it's individual or corporate, because it enables us to go into intercessory prayer, believing that we have the vision of God when we're praying for those things. And it means if we're seeing things through God's eyes, then we're seeing things through much bigger and our faith is increased. And that's why it's so important. Anyway, I've had sort of two posters came into my mind. One, of, which is clearly wrong, have a cup of tea is clearly wrong. Um, the next one, obviously, is the poster or the billboard or the, or the sandwich board that the Herald might have run around with, which said, repent for the Babylonians are coming. But then I thought, well, possibly there's a third poster we might like to have outside the church, which might say, trust in the Lord, for he is in control. Because the whole emphasis of this book, we see Habakkuk going from complaining in chapters 1 and 2 to praising in chapter 3, is that God is in control. And that would be, I think, a good title underlining Habakkuk. God is in control. So thank you for listening. And I'll just do a little prayer. Dear Lord, thank you that you are in control. Thank you that this book had prophecies, not only for their time, but for our time and for the time to come. When one day there will be no more idolatry, when there will be worship of the only true King, Jesus Christ, when he's married to the, the heavenly bride, which is the church. And also that there will be no injustice anymore. And as it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen.